Good morning. Uh, my name is Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I am thrilled that you could be with us this Easter Sunday. It's uh, great to see all of your faces. For those of you who are online, it's great to have you here as well. If it's your first time, we certainly hope it is not your last. We are going to jump into a message this morning. Um, believe it or not, we're going to talk about Easter. <clears throat> What's interesting to me about Easter, and I, I get to see this kind of every year, is how meaningful and really how relevant Easter is to our lives uh, especially this year, after the year we've had, after uh, what we've seen and some, what some of us have experienced, after some of our doubts and some of our fears. What's really amazing about the Easter message is how relevant it is to our lives year after year after year. And this year is certainly no different. What's interesting, though, is, is that this year and, and perhaps even last year, people are sitting up and kind of paying attention. They want to know what's it all about and, and, and what's the hope and, and is there hope and is it good? We, really, we kind of we, we kind of find ourselves asking questions, and uh, some of these questions are really difficult questions. Is, is God there? Does God care? Does he, does he know what's going on with my family? Does he know about the report we just received from the doctor? Does, does he see what's happening in my job and in my life or with my kids? Does, does he see what's happening in the world, in our countries? Is he aware of what's happening with economics? Like, is God there, and does God care? And what I find really interesting is that some of the same questions we find ourselves asking this year were some of the very same questions the first century people found themselves asking the very first Easter Sunday. You see, but for followers of Jesus, we have an advantage. We kind of have a coat to hang our hold on. We have rearview vision. We can look back and we can see what happened. We know the end of the story. Most of you here know how the story ends. That's why we're here, to celebrate it. But for the very first century uh, followers of Jesus, for the very first century believers, they didn't know. They had lost all hope. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died, the, the, the really thing that, that we kind of miss in Christian culture, that we kind of miss as followers of Jesus, we, we tend to breeze over this part of the story. And, and, and perhaps it's because we want to rush to the end. And some of us, we even miss it. Some of us, uh, uh, if you've been in church for a while and then you left church and you kind of went away from it, my guess is it's because th this part wasn't made clear to you because we don't often talk about this. But when Jesus died, all hope died with him. Uh, on that Thursday evening, Friday evening, whenever it was that where he was hung on a cross and, and the, the, the nails were driven into his hands and he, and he died, all hope died. There were no Christians. There were no followers. There were no Christians because there was no Christ. There were no followers because the movement had died. There were no believers because what was there to believe in? The man who claimed and made, made these amazing claims about himself, the man who said these awesome and these radical things, was dead. And all hope of what he had talked about, the, the new kingdom, the, the, the God coming to and doing something for man that had never been done before, all, all the stuff that Jesus introduced hung there on that cross with him. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took Jesus' body from the cross and they, they put it in a tomb, and they rolled a stone in front of the tomb. And Jesus was buried, and hope was buried as well. And it's somber, and it's, it's, it's meaningful to us, because for some of us, we feel like the first century followers. We doubt. We're not sure if we believe. We're not sure if there could be hope. We're not sure if the things Jesus said are real. You see, nobody was planning to keep the dream alive or the movement moving. Nobody was planning to continue the work because 
the movement had died. Jesus, after all, wasn't who he claimed to be because if, if Jesus was who he claimed to be, if he was the Messiah, if he, if he was the Son of God, if, if all these things that he said about himself were true, then how could he be dead? Because God would not let the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for for thousands and thousands of years to be hung on a cross by a foreign nation. Absolutely not. That, that wasn't going to happen. So if Jesus hung on a cross and Jesus died, then Jesus wasn't who he said he was. And what's really interesting is, is how this movement even, even kind of began. It's, it's really kind of interesting that, that people who followed Jesus, they didn't follow Jesus because of his teachings. I mean, he, he taught some amazing things, but, but they didn't follow him because of his teachings. They didn't follow him because of the miracles, although he performed some amazing miracles. They followed him because of who he claimed to be. You see, the claims he made about himself were radical. The claims he made about himself, nobody had ever said before. Nobody had ever kind of done this thing before. And that's what pitted him against the religious people, and that's what pitted him against Rome, and that's what ended up pitting him against even some of his followers. But if who he claimed to be was the Son of God, and the Son of God is dead, then so is everything Jesus introduced. Peter and the guys... They didn't choose to follow Jesus because of what he taught. As a matter of fact, we're going to see in a moment, they chose to follow Jesus in spite of what he taught. You see, he taught some amazing things, and that was, that was all awesome, but he also taught some things that were pretty radical. One, one uh, instance of this, we find this in the Gospel of John, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is a really famous story, so if, if you've been to church at all, I'm sure you've heard it before. Jesus is teaching this large crowd of people, thousands of people, and he feeds them with just a few loaves and a few fish. And the people are just amazed. They're so amazed and so blessed by what he's done. They want to make him king right there. Like, there's this movement. We're going to make him king, and we're going to march him into Jerusalem and, and, and to, to kind of create some distance between him and the crowd and what they were trying to do because that's not what he was trying to do. They get in a boat, and they go across you know, a portion of the Sea of Galilee. The crowd follows him. They follow him around the Sea of Galilee, and they, they continue to follow him around. And the crowd, he gets there, and there's the crowd that followed him and a new crowd that gathered because he's in a different part of, of Galilee. And there's another, like, swarm of people. And what does Jesus do? He begins to teach again. But this time as he's teaching, he, he makes some, some really radical remarks. He, he makes some, some claims about himself. He, he, he associates himself with God, and nobody does that. He, he does things that, that, that people didn't do. He said he, he could forgive sins. And, and who, like, who says that? He did. And it put him at odds. As a matter of fact, he, he begins to, to make these claims. And although he had taught and although he had fed and people were blessed, he performed a miracle and he, he taught some really great things. As soon as he claimed to be somebody that they thought he wasn't, the crowd begins to thin. As a matter of fact, he associates himself with God. And he says, I have come down from heaven and this is where he grew up. So some people are kind of thinking, no, you didn't. I know your dad. I know Joseph. I know Mary. I know your brothers. Like newsflash Jesus, you were born in a barn. You didn't come down from heaven. And that afternoon, the crowd thinned. It tells us this in John. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and clicked the unfollow button. Some of us need to do that on social media. They did that in real life. And as Jesus is watching thousands of people desert him because of his claims, he turns around and he looks at his disciples one more time and he says, guys, what about you? Are you thinking of leaving me too? Are you thinking of deserting me too? And none of the disciples look Jesus in the eye. And perhaps they don't look him in the eye because of what they were thinking. Maybe they were actually thinking of leaving. 
But all eyes kind of shift over to Peter. We've been talking about Peter for the past few weeks. Peter's the oldest of the disciples. He's kind of the spokesperson. He's the outspoken one. All eyes kind of shift towards Peter, and Peter responds to Jesus. But what was really interesting is not just his response, but it's what Peter doesn't say. Because P- Peter could have said some, some really crazy things in this moment because of the claims that Jesus has made. But listen to this. Jesus asked, guys, are you thinking of leaving me too? And here's what Peter doesn't say. Peter doesn't say this. Lord, to whom shall we go? Nobody teaches as well as you do. I mean, we've learned so much. Your content is just so compelling. Your, tor- your storytelling skills, they're just like off the charts, Jesus. Like, like no one teaches the way you teach. Granted, Jesus, you know, today wasn't one of our better days, uh, but, you know, one mediocre message isn't a reason for us to abandon you. Here's what Peter actually says, and this is really telling. This is how we know they didn't follow Jesus just because of what he taught, although clearly he taught some amazing things. Guys, what about you? Are you thinking of abandoning me as well? Here's what Peter actually says. Lord, to whom shall we go? Who would have us after this? After all, you have the words of eternal life. Nobody speaks the way you do. And then this is the part. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Or translation, you are the Messiah of God. Somewhere along the line, whether it's, it's what you taught or the miracles or what you've claimed or the fact that you're able to do all three, but somewhere along the line, it's become relevant to us and obvious to us that you're not just a teacher. You're not just a rabbi. You're not, you're not just a, a, another good man with a good message. You are something different. You are the Holy One of God. You are the, the, the Messiah. And the disciples believe this, and you have to understand the emotion of this day. They follow Jesus up to the point of his death, and then they watch him hang on a cross. The Messiah, the Holy One of God, is now dead. And so is all hope. They watched hope hang on a cross. They watched their life hang on a cross. They watched everything they had given up. They had now become outcasts in societies. The religious leaders hated them and wanted them dead. Rome was angry with them. They watched all their hopes and dreams die. You see, when Jesus died, and we talk about this all the time, when Jesus died on on that Easter Sunday morning, no one was sitting outside the tomb. Everybody expected Jesus to do what dead people do, stay dead. Nobody would write themselves in as heroes. I mean, we read through the Gospels, and nobody writes themselves in like, but I'm the one who actually believed. The rest of the other 11, they didn't believe. No, every disciple, every Gospel is brutally honest. Everybody abandoned him. Everybody disbelieved. Everybody lost faith. So if you find yourself here this morning or sitting at home and you're feeling a little like that, like after all that I've seen and the year I've been through and what I'm seeing going on in my family and the report I got from the doctor, everything that kind of hits close to home with you and you're feeling like I just don't know that I can believe, here's some good news for you. Neither did the disciples. Because Easter Sunday morning, do you know where they were? Hiding. Scared abandoned, alone, without any hope, full of doubt. There were no believers because there was nothing to believe. There were no followers because the person they followed is dead and in a tomb. There were no Christians because Christ was dead. And then something 
Something happened that changed history forever. Something happened that would change the disciples' lives. Something happened that would change your life. Something happened that would change what we do in, 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 in the rest of the world for thousands of years forever. Something happened that Easter morning. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. His broken body began to breathe. And out of the silence, a roaring lion saying, death, you have no claim on me. Grave, you can't hold me. Everything you tried to do and you tried to hold me back and you tried to end, I have overcome. I love the lyrics to that song. You can't hold God back. You can't hold Jesus back. You're tried. And then something happened. Easter morning, sitting outside the tomb was no one. They weren't waiting in the middle of darkness, the darkness before the dawn, looking at their watches, counting down. You guys ready for the sunrise? Ten, nine, eight. No. They're all home, and they're all scared. And then something happened. An event happened. An event that would lead to the movement. The, the movement is the church. That's what we are. And it's the movement that brought forth the Bible. Now, what's really interesting is this sequence of events. If we, if we kind of get the sequence against, out of order, we kind of mess them up a little bit, we get a little confused. As a matter of fact, if they get out of order at all, our faith becomes a little bit fragile. You see, it, it, all of this started with an event that led to a movement that brought forth the Gospels, that brought forth the, the, the Word. But somewhere along the lines, it's kind of like we got it backwards. But this is all, all kind of founded on the Bible. We only know this because of the Bible. And this, whenever I ask this, I get this question a lot. Well, don't we just know all this because of, of the Bible? Here's the thing. The, the Bible didn't give us Christianity. The Bible didn't make the resurrection happen. As a matter of fact, there was no Bible when the resurrection happened. If there was no resurrection, the Bible would have never happened. Have we thought about that? The Gospels wouldn't be written. Peter wouldn't have letters to write because Peter would still be disbelieving. The Apostle Paul would have never met Jesus and wrote half the New Testament. There would be, and when I say the Bible, it's like the Jewish scriptures, you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the letters that John wrote, the letters that Peter wrote, the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. We would have none of that if there was no this. The resurrection. You see, the Christian faith did not begin with Genesis. The Christian faith began with Jesus. And not Jesus born in a manger. That's a, a wonderful story. We celebrate that. The Christian faith began with Jesus, not even his crucifixion, because tens of thousands of people had been crucified. The Christian faith began with the resurrection. Because that is what makes all the difference. Without the resurrection, there would be no believers. Without the resurrection, there would be no followers. There would be no Christianity. There were no believers until the resurrection. The Bible didn't create Christianity. Christians didn't create Christianity. The resurrection created Christianity. The resurrection is what spawned all the gospel writers to write about these events because all of these events, while as fantastic as they were, when they were bookended with death, they didn't mean a thing. But when there was life after death, they took on an entirely new meaning. And for some of you, if you left church because of, of your experience with the Bible, it didn't seem like, like none of these things connected the dots. It's because people like me, preachers, haven't taught on this. But the reason we have a Bible is because Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus rose 
there was a resurrection. And that's why we celebrate it. <clears throat> so where does our story pick up? We've been in the Gospel of Mark. For over 30 years, Peter has been traveling around talking about this incredible story. Teaching about how Jesus did something that nobody else was able to do. He's been traveling around the Mediterranean Rim. And, and, and he's, he's telling people over and over again the story. They're inviting him into their homes and into the villages. Peter, would you just tell us this, this one more time? He, he's traveling around and, and, and he starts telling a story one more time. And in this instance, he, he's traveling around and, and he's, he's in prison. He's locked up in Nero's Rome. Peter doesn't realize at this time that he's not escaping Rome alive. He's traveling around with his, his traveling companion, Mark. And they're, they're, I imagine they're just sitting in a room. And Mark's like, Peter, just one more time. Tell me the story one more time. And Mark begins to write down every detail of Peter's story. And Peter <clears throat> tells us, uh, when he comes to this part of the story, I, I just imagine Mark saying, okay, now, I, go slow. I don't want to miss any detail. And he begins to write Peter's words one more time. And his words come to us as the gospel of Mark. And our story picks up here. Jesus is dead, hanging on a cross. And Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, this is like the, 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 <clears throat> this is like the supreme court to these people who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. He believed in Jesus. He was waiting for Jesus to initiate the new kingdom that he had talked about and to be a king. And the king was hanging on a cross. So this man himself is full of doubt and, and, and full of grief and, and, and a little disturbed. He went boldly to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was actually surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. Couldn't believe it. So he summoned the, the uh, centurion who was over the whole crucifixion events. And he asked him, is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, is he dead already? The centurion answered. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph, which was very rare. That's, this kind of thing didn't happen. Bodies would hang there for days to make an example of. So Joseph brought with him some linen cloth. And he took down the body of Jesus, and he wrapped it in linen. And he placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. And then he and Nicodemus, they rolled this massive stone against the entrance of the tomb. And then Peter gives us a little detail here. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And this comes back to play later. So, so picture these events. Jesus is dead. He's in a tomb. It's Passover. They can't go back and see him. The disciples are scattered, they're scared, they're lonely, they're worried, they're concerned. When the Sabbath was finally over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, they brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. They didn't go back expecting a resurrection. They brought spices because they were expecting a dead body. Imagine what these women were feeling mourning their loss, maybe the, the saddest day of their lives because they had invested everything in this man and in his message and in his claims. Broken, deserted, on their way to treat the body of their friend and their rabbi, Jesus. And then very early, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they're on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, and I imagine Peter gives us one question they ask. But I imagine there's got to be more. With what they're feeling, with what they had experienced, how could he be dead? 
How could Jesus be dead? How could this have happened? Did, did, did we miss something? I mean, all the things he taught and all the, how did he perform the miracles? Did he just lie to us? How could God do this to me? Doesn't he see what I'm going through? Doesn't he know how lonely and abandoned I feel? Doesn't he see that I'm on the brink of of falling apart? Where is God in all of this? Questions sound very similar to the questions we ask. Thousands of years later. And this is what makes Easter so relevant to today. They're asking the same questions we do. But they know where their God is. He was dead in a tomb. They begin to ask themselves this question. Who? Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And then I imagine as Peter's telling these words to Mark, Mark begins to smile. He says, I love this part. Peter, I love this part. But when they looked in the tomb, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And at the entrance of the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. They were scared. I mean, Jesus, if that was you, why are you sitting up? I saw you die. And if it's not you, why are you here and where's Jesus? What's happening? But the man spoke and he said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He was dead, but something happened. He's not dead anymore. He is risen. He's not here. Look, you can see the place where they laid his body. It's gone. And he says, but you, you go and tell the disciples, and I love this part, and Peter. It's like they make special attention to this. Go tell the disciples, oh yeah, and and make sure you tell Peter. Because remember we left off with Peter? He was sitting around the fire and he denied Jesus three times and and ran away feeling that anguish and that brokenness and that loss and and the betrayal he just put on his best friend. Yeah, yeah, I know where Peter is. I know what Peter has done. Make sure you go get the disciples, but make sure you tell Peter too because I know where Peter is and I know how he's feeling. And remind him once again, he is going ahead of you. Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he said. So the women leave. You know how the story goes. They run and they tell the disciples and Peter and John, they're, they're, they're the boldest of the bunch. They, they run to the tomb and John's faster than Peter, so he gets there first, but he's not near as adventurous. He's scared and he stands on the outside. He doesn't, I don't want to look in. I don't know what I'm going to see. Peter is just bold, runs to the tomb and runs right in the entrance and they look around and the body's not there, but, but they're not convinced. They don't believe. They don't want to hope in a resurrection. These weren't superstitious men. They assumed that the body had been taken. But they follow the women's advice. And they make their way home to Galilee. And they encounter their risen Savior. And I love this. They, it's like the most intimate setting. They have breakfast with Jesus on the beach, just as they said he would. But he, he, this isn't in the scripture. I just, I, I just got to imagine that this is how it went. They make their way back up to the Sea of Galilee, where they're from, Galilee. Sitting on the beach, having breakfast with their Savior at perhaps the very same location where their journey began years earlier. And like that, the story changed. And like that, hope was restored. And like that, life was brought back. Just like that, the story changed forever. 
And Peter, Peter would say to you, if you're a believer, he would say, this is the greatest thing. This is the reason we celebrate. This is the reason we're here. It's the reason I wrote all this down. It's the reason I spent year after year after year traveling so that you would know. And if you've lost faith or you lost doubt or, or, or perhaps you're sitting here and you're saying, I'm just not sure I believe. I'm just, I'm just not sure I, I, I'm convinced of all this. If Peter were here, do you know what Peter would say to you and what he would say to me? I know. Neither was I. I was so unconvinced, I watched him hanging across and I walked away. I was convinced it was over. I was convinced hope had died. I was convinced he wasn't who he said he was. But then something happened. Something happened that changed my life forever. Something happened that changed history forever. Something that happened, if you're sitting here today, that has changed your life forever. He would say, if you believe, your hope, your generosity, your life, your sacrifice, everything is not in vain. Because something happened. And if you're here and you doubt, he would say, just, just one more time. Would you hear my story? Would you take a step of faith? Would you believe? Because something happened. And that changed the world forever. He said, it changed my world. I would spend the next 30 years sacrificing my life to make sure you heard everything about his. Peter would say, I, I, I get to the end. And at the end of it all, I go back to what Jesus said, and I think he, he couldn't have been more right. The time had come. The kingdom of God had come near. The king was here. He, he brought his new kingdom. He established this new covenant between God and all of humanity. Something new had taken place, and it, it was radical, and it was life-changing. And, and my only response to it was to repent and to believe. To, to repent, to turn my life in a different direction, to say, you know what, I, I, I've tried and I failed and I've tried on my own and I failed and, and there's no hope and, and, and I, I keep bumping into a wall and I feel like I can't get out. Maybe, maybe just this one day, this one moment, I'm going to turn my life in his direction and I'm going to believe. I'm, I'm going to turn my life on my old direction to repent and to turn in the new direction and to believe what Peter would say. I absolutely believe now is 100% good news. The time had come. The kingdom of God is here. Would you repent? And would you believe? You see, Peter wants you to receive this good news. And he wants you to accept the invitation to follow Jesus. Because in following him, hope is restored. Life is restored. In following him, there is a reason to celebrate today. And that's why I think this Easter story is more relevant today than it's ever been for us. And my hope for you is that today it becomes more relevant to you. Would you allow me to pray before we go our way? Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for, for this incredible narrative. God, it's not just a story. It's not something that was made up and just passed down from generations. God, there are so many eyewitness accounts. There are so many uh, portions of the story that we, we know are true because of how many people reiterated it over and over and over. 
God, we are here because they believed. We are here not because Jesus died. We are here because of the event. He was resurrected. God, and I pray that would give us this morning a reason to celebrate. A reason, God, to, to, to have hope. A reason to believe. God, for those of us who for years have believed, and, and maybe this, this morning we're just a little weary after what we've experienced, after maybe what we've heard and what we've been through. I pray, God, that you would reassure us all once again that that is not in vain. Because Jesus had come and he had risen. And God, for those of us here, Lord, this morning, maybe we find ourselves in the fence and we're just not sure we can. God, I pray you would give them the courage to repent, to turn from their old way. And God, maybe even just for a moment to believe the good news. And in doing so, Lord, would you change their life? I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and eye closed. I, I wasn't going to end this way, but I would feel totally remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity. If you're here and, and you're feeling in this moment, perhaps you're not sure you can believe. You're not sure you, 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 you do believe, but you want to. You want the hope. You want to celebrate. You want to experience life. You, you've, you've tried your old way too many times, and, and it keeps ending up in the same place, and you're ready this morning to try something new. I'm going to ask you to say a very simple prayer. To repent from your old way, to turn your life in his direction, and to believe the good news. If that's you, even if you're sitting at home, or you're watching on your couch, or in your bedroom, wherever you are, listening to this in the car tomorrow, if that's you, I just want you to say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. God, I've tried it my way so many times, and I never succeed. But this morning, I'm willing to try it yours. Would you forgive me? Would you make me part of your family? In Jesus' name, amen. If you've made that decision this morning, the scriptures say you made the greatest decision of your life. I say this all the time. All of heaven throws a party when somebody repents from their old way and turns and gives their life to the new. I couldn't be happier for you this morning. I hope you have a wonderful Easter. We're going to stand and sing some songs. I ask you, if you would, to stand to your feet. If you have your masks, put your masks on. We're going to sing a few songs, and then we'll be back to conclude our service. If I don't get to see you on your way out this morning, let me say it now. Happy Easter. I love you. There is a reason to celebrate this morning, and that is because something happened thousands and thousands of years ago that changed our lives forever.